We come to church because we love Jesus and we love each other. And we come because we want to be formed and changed to go out and make a difference in the world. And we do that by learning through our head, but also being moved in our heart. So um, today, again, we're going we're gonna to watch a video. My dad's going to do some great teaching. And then I'm just going to do a short time of reflection and see what the Spirit is trying to tell us as a church. Absolutely not. Do not look into this. Are you crazy? I got the message loud and clear. This Yeshua was not for us. I grew up in a family that was, um, I would say, like conservadox. My mom grew up orthodox. My dad grew up reform. And they kind of switched places. My dad became more orthodox and my mom became less. We kept kosher. We did you know, place for milk, place for meat. It was always there, always present. We're Jewish. And I was very happy to be Jewish and I never wanted to be anything else. I used to go to shul and we'd sit there and we would pray along with everybody. And I'd keep up with the English because I didn't always understand the Hebrew. And a lot of the time I could feel God's presence there. I just felt like God is here. But then I would go and I would pray and I wouldn't hear back. You know, I liked synagogue. I loved the liturgy. I loved the tradition. I liked even keeping Shabbat, which, you know, isn't always popular, but I liked it. But there's a certain emptiness that was there. It's like, you know, there wasn't power. We always talked about God theoretically, but not personally. And I was so hungry for that because that's what you see in the Tanakh. There came a point after my bat mitzvah where it was just so clear that I kept praying all the prayers and I wasn't hearing. And I started to ask God, why? Why is that? And that summer, a cousin of mine came to visit. She'd just become a believer in Yeshua. And then she started talking to us about, you know, Yeshua, could he actually be the Messiah? Really? I mean, what? Jesus is Yeshua? Jesus could possibly be the Messiah? It just seemed so, what? Something went off in my brain like, well, we're waiting for the Messiah. What if he is? How can I find out if he is? I went to church with her once just because I was curious. And it was crazy. I was surrounded by people that were running around, that were worshiping God. They had their hands up. They were jumping. There were some people my age. There were some people older. And I thought they were all insane. And I was not at all interested in what was going on. But I felt something different. And then my dad found out where we had been. All hell broke loose. My dad freaked out and nearly kicked my cousin out of the house, and she was staying with us. He did not speak to us for two weeks. I talked with my sister and my brother, because, you know, we were, had all been together. You know, what do you think? Could he be the Messiah? And my sister was horrified. It was like, I just asked the most horrible thing ever, and I could feel this, like, wall come up, like, Absolutely not. Do not look into this. Are you crazy? She said to me, go and look into our own religion. You don't even know enough yet to even think about this. So I started on a path 
to become Orthodox because I figured that was the way to know God. As um, Mary was saying, uh, this is the second part of a, uh, a two-sermon series. We preached the, the, last, uh, the first one last week. Today in the Anglican calendar is Christ the King. It's the Sunday before we start Advent. And as I was saying, Advent is a, two, a, a, a season with two parts. Partly we look forward to Jesus coming again. And partly we look back to Jesus' first coming. And all of it is meant to prepare us to celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God, which is what we're actually doing at Christmas time. We're not busy buying presents and cooking meals and all the tinsel and glamour. It's a celebration of probably one of the greatest miracles that ever happened would be the God that created the universe came as a human being in the form of Jesus, born as a baby in a, in a manger. And we were looking last week at some messianic prophecies, prophecies scattered throughout the Old Testament about an anointed one, a savior, a deliverer, the Messiah, great David's greater son, the son of David. And you know, there are also messianic prophecies in the New Testament. And because what we were saying is that there are two strands to the prophecies you'd find in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. There was a priestly Messiah who, and a kingly Messiah. And the priestly Messiah would come to provide atonement for the sins of the people, because that's what priests do, by offering himself as the ultimate sacrifice who would make all future sacrifices redundant. He would be a suffering servant. And then the kingly Messiah would be a king who would come, he'd defeat all the enemies of God, he would be a glorious and a victorious king, he would be a ruler of the world, and he'd bring in peace. His would be a reign of peace. And Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies when he came during his life, but he's going to fulfill many more in, when he comes the second time as a glorious king. And I want to just mention a couple of Old Testament prophecies, and then we'll go into talk about New Testament prophecies. <clears throat> Probably one of the earliest prophecies you find in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 49, verse 10. And this is Jacob, as he's blessing all the sons of Israel, he, he's also known as Israel, um, as he's blessing them, he comes to Judah, and he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, <clears throat> nor the ruler's staff from, beneath his, from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. It's one of the earliest Messianic prophecies. Then the, uh, the other one that I want to mention to you is um, quite a well-known prophecy. Uh, it's written by Isaiah. Uh, that's Isaiah lived um, about uh, three or four hundred years after King David and he says this 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now that is a pretty amazing ruler who would be reigning forever and is called mighty God, eternal father, everlasting father. That is no ordinary king. Let's go forward to the New Testament. So we have the Hebrew scriptures, which are the Old Testament for the Jewish people, get them ready. We come now to the New Testament, which include scriptures which we all have, as well as the Old Testament, to help us to be prepared, to be ready for when he comes again. Because the second coming is a future event for all of us, Christians and Jews alike. And actually, there's a lot of prophecies in the New Testament. I just want to focus on a few prophecies which were made by Jesus. Jesus was a prophet, you know, as well as other things. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite way of talking about himself. It's over 80 times in the Gospel he calls himself the Son of Man. And I want to read you a reasonably significant moment when he used that term. This is at his trial before the high priest. You know, Jesus was quiet, all the false accusations they were bringing. Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest had a pretty dramatic reaction to that. He tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he said. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Okay? He was in front of the Sanhedrin, the, the, the highest court in, in Israel. And the reason there was such a dramatic reaction is because Jesus was referring back to a prophecy in the book of Daniel, written about 500 years before, him, before he came. And Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be, destroy, be destroyed. This is an eternal king who will have an eternal kingdom. And you know, the book of Daniel is not a favorite one with rabbis. They've actually told people that the book of Daniel is so holy that if you read it, if you hold it and read it, you could get um, sort of contaminated. So they suggest you don't. You let your rabbi explain it. <laughs> and that, this is one of the things. Anyway, 
Jesus talked about his coming in quite a few different ways, but one of them is as a kingly judge. And he said this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. He wasn't talking about earning our salvation through good works. He was talking about something that actually the Apostle James said in his, in his letter, that faith without works is dead. We demonstrate our faith by the things we do, by the life we live. Because faith is more than words. It needs to be lived out. We need to actually, by our life, demonstrate that we really believe. It's not just enough to come to church and say the words. You've got to actually believe so much that you actually live like that the rest of the week. Jesus said quite a lot of things about the signs of his coming, about the things that can help us to know that his coming is soon. And in the, <clears throat> in the last 2,000 years, wars, rumors of wars, famines, plagues, earthquakes, floods, global warming, many people have taken these as signs that the end is near. It's, there have been different people making false predictions of, oh, well, Jesus is coming again on such and such a date. So Jesus said, <clears throat> but about that hour or about, uh, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The precise time of his coming cannot be known. But he went on to say that we will see signs, signs of the times, signs that his coming is near, warnings to be ready. Because actually a big theme in Jesus' teaching about the, the second coming, you know, he tells parables about the, the foolish virgins who weren't ready when the bridegroom came. The whole theme of it is be ready because he's coming and we won't expect him. But there are three unmistakable signs that I want to mention to you as a sign that his coming may not be too far away. The first one is this. <clears throat> At that time, many will turn away from their faith and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Leading up to Jesus' second coming, there will be a great apostasy. 
than the second one. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the third one. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its leaves become tender, as soon as its twigs become tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Now, two of them are quite clear, and the fig tree I will explain later. Um, but when Jesus comes, it will be highly visible. He will not come in obscurity. Some people have speculated, oh, well, Jesus is here, he's just hiding somewhere, or uh, he's, a, he's a bloke from Manchester or something. But that's not how he will come. <clears throat> this is what Jesus said. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end, from one end of the heavens to the other. Okay, that's how visible it's going to be. Nobody can possibly miss it. It's like you've got to be blind or have your eyes closed. You may miss it, but actually you'll hear it. So let's think about these three signs. In the last 200 years, the gospel has been preached throughout the world. Every tribe and tongue and nation has had the opportunity to hear. I mean, it's a, as a result of amazing mission work done um, in the 19th century and 20th century by British missionaries, all sorts of missionaries, and American missionaries. Um, then, in the last 100 years, there's been a great apostasy among the traditional Christian nations, first in Europe, then in Britain, then North America. There's been a falling away. Many people who are like nominal Christians, you know, going along to churches, said that they've fallen away. I mean, it's even affected the Church of England. Um, you know, the House of Bishops has let us down. Um, but in the last 50 years, what has been happening? We've seen signs of the twigs getting tender, the shoots coming out. And I'm just going to unpack what Jesus meant by that a bit. See, in, in the scriptures, the fig tree has a, a certain meaning. Um, earlier on in his ministry, Jesus told a parable about judgment. He told the parable of the fig tree. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went out to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it, bring, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. Now throughout scripture, the fruitful vineyard and the fruitful fig tree have been used as a symbol for the Jewish people, the people of God, being in a right relationship with God. When things are good and happy and they're right with God, it talks about 
the vineyard, you know, providing fruit and the fig tree providing fruit. But unfruitless, but fruitlessness, lack of fruit, is a sign of the people in a wrong relationship. In, when they're, it's not a good relationship. They're doing other stuff. So, after three years of ministry, do you remember the parable? Three years. Jesus came to the temple for the final time. The temple which was meant to be the center of Jewish spiritual life. It was where you would go and get forgiveness by offering an animal sacrifice. The priest would pray for you. This is where they could meet God, where they could offer sacrifices. But Jesus found nothing but rituals, religiosity, and robbery. Do you remember his triumphal entry with all the crowds shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, which is a messianic sort of acclaim. So he came to the temple. He found access by the Gentiles had been completely disregarded. There was a huge court where Gentiles, could, like the Ethiopian eunuch, could expect to come and pray and meet with God. But the court of Gentiles had been turned into a cattle market. Jesus said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But he met criticism from the temple hierarchy. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. He found leaves but no fruit and so he pronounced judgment on the temple. So you've you probably heard the story of the cursing of the fig tree. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said, may you never bear fruit again. He pronounced judgment. It was an, it was an enacted prophecy. He also gave verbal prophecies, but this one, the cursing of the fig tree, um, was a prophecy of the destruction of the temple and of the scattering of the people. And after 40 years, the Jerusalem temple had been given enough time after the coming of Jesus. And in AD 70, the Romans came and they destroyed the temple and they smashed up Jerusalem and the priests and Levites were scattered. Uh, the sacrifices were stopped. The people were scattered. And since that time, the Jewish people have had no sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Nothing in what the, that was laid down by Moses in the Torah. None of that has been able to be done. A lot of most of the ceremonial law is not possible now. The sacrifice was stopped because they were no longer needed. Because 40 years earlier, Jesus had died. He had made atonement for the sins of the entire human race. Past, present, and future. Everyone was covered by the blood of Jesus. All you have to do is repent, believe, and you, have, you, you get that. You get that forgiveness. And then Jesus said, now learn this lesson, lesson from the fig tree 
as soon as its twigs become tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. And actually, the sign of the fig tree is a sign of large numbers of Jewish people recognizing Jesus as their Messiah, coming back into a right relationship with God. It's the third sign that his coming is near. You know, earlier on Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house, which is a reference to the temple, your house is left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when they recognize Jesus as their Messiah. You know, if you're interested in this, I would recommend you read Zechariah 12, 13 and 14, because Zechariah sees a vision of the last days. This is a prophecy for the end times. He sees the Jewish people back in their land, back in Jerusalem, but struggling with the hostility of all the nations surrounding them. And he says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they've pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for, for him as one grieves for, the first, for a firstborn son. And there's a whole lot of emphasis on this mourning, this grieving, but for up to the end of the chapter, Zechariah 12. And then the next verse says this, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. For 2,000 years they've had nothing to cleanse them from sin and impurity. They are not on the Day of Atonement following the Torah, because they can't. Since AD 70, since the destruction of the temple, the scattering of the priests and Levites, the end of animal sacrifice, the Jewish people haven't been able to keep the ceremonial law in the Torah. They have rejected the atoning death of the Messiah, and so they have no God-given way for the forgiveness of sins apart from recognizing Jesus as their Messiah which is a sign, the mourning will be a recognition. He was the Messiah and we crucified him. And the weeping of the people of Israel as they discover that provides atonement as they turn to him. So Mary will help us do a bit of thinking about this. So I started to look into the prophecies. I wanted to find out, you know, who is the Messiah? What is the Messiah supposed to do? What do people say about the Messiah? As I read, the one that stood out to me the most was, was a prophet like Moses, a prophet like Moshe, and that everything that he spoke, we would be responsible for doing. And I just kept thinking like, who is a prophet like Moshe who did miracles like that? Somebody on that level. And there'd never been anyone like that really except for 
Yeshua. So my sister went away for a year to kind of find herself. And, and when she got back, I knew that something had changed inside of her. I noticed such a difference in my sister. And when you grow up with somebody, you can really tell when they're faking it or when they're not. And I could see that something so significant happened in her life. She had a deep anchor and I needed it. She ended up becoming a believer in Yeshua. I wanted that dream. I wanted that vision. I wanted that lightning experience for God to prove that He's real to me. And finally, I heard a clear voice in my heart saying, you've heard enough, you've seen enough. It's time to just believe. I couldn't deny that Yeshua was real, but I was faced with this dilemma of my dad, my friends, what's going to happen? It was such a big struggle in my heart. You know, do you go with the truth or do you go with what's comfortable? But you know, at the end, I just, I couldn't say no. I knew he was real. I knew he was true. And it was like, okay, I'm doing it. It's happening. My dad was like Mount Vesuvius erupting. He was so hurt. You know, he took it very personally. Like, why are you betraying me? Why are you, what did I do wrong? Uh, your grandparents would be rolling over in their graves if they could hear this. You know, it would have been better if I was a drug addict than believe in Yeshua. Anything, anything except Yeshua. Whatever the cost was, I figured it's worth it. I love my family more than anything. And I want them to accept me. But sometimes when you say or you choose a side, you have to choose it and you stand on it. I mean, to have a close relationship with God, the truth is worth it. Life with, with Yeshua would be worth it. We've had some great teaching from my dad about kind of this, these diff, three different signs that are, that Jesus gave us in scripture. Um, and he, my dad was speaking about the fig tree and these kind of these things that were growing, the Jew, Jewish people, and you know, talk to him afterwards because he's got so much to say. Um, but definitely, over the last um, few years, thousands of Jewish people have come to know Jesus as Lord, and this is a really interesting, exciting sign. So now, like I said at the beginning, we come to church because we love each other and we love Jesus and we want Jesus to send us out being changed, not just in our minds, but also mainly in our hearts. So I'm just going to lead us in a very um, short reflection time. I'm just going to read a tiny bit of scripture. And like last week, we, I asked two questions that you can kind of ponder because the Holy Spirit is here and he wants to talk to us. And the two questions that we thought about last week were, in this silence, 
What is the Holy Spirit niggling in your heart? What is he sort of moving, making you feel a bit uncomfortable about or teaching you something? And then the second one is, what is the Holy Spirit confirming in your spirit? What is the Holy Spirit confirming in your heart as you spend time with him now? Okay, so I'm going to be reading from Matthew 25. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you will know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So come Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move us right now. Talk to us in our hearts so that we can go away from this place changed for you. In Jesus' name. So... um, Last week we had a time of reflection and we had a time for people to share if there was anything that had moved them in that time with the Lord. And so I just want to give that opportunity again today. Was there anything this morning that the Spirit, Holy Spirit has been, has made you feel uncomfortable or niggled you in your heart? What is it that the Spirit is moving in your heart this morning? The thing which struck me is very simple, really. It's just how much time we waste worrying about things which really don't matter. Thanks, David. Um, I spent a lot of time yesterday. Um, I met with Josie on on Friday. Um, We talked a lot about the children of this church. I spent a lot of time yesterday writing and writing. I couldn't stop writing. And um, it really, I really feel the Holy Spirit has just confirmed to me that um, our prayers are for the children of this church. I don't mean the little dear little tots. Of ch- I mean the ones that are being in womb at the moment. I mean the ones that are um, being prayed about because they want, you know, a couple want children. I'm talking about um, what goes on. Uh, in our homes, how we pray about our children, um, about prayers every night, and about how they grow in prayer. And it's just, the ho- it was the whole, whole of childhood came before me. And I, I've got goosebumps at the moment. I, if anyone knows about goosebumps, I do. <laughs> really, I do. I've got, goose- I've got loads of warm clothes on, and I've got goosebumps. Um, and I really mean the Holy Spirit is, is here right now, and saying we need to pray for our children. From thought to the time they go to school, to the time they come out of school, um, and I don't mean just, you know, we're going to pick them up at school, I mean the time when they 
they uh, go through their exams, all their worries, all the bullying, all the things that go on at school. We need to know as carers, parents, everything to do with a child. And we need to pray about those times. Hello. Um, I'm just going to be really vulnerable here because this is a really scary thing to do. Hi, everyone. Seeing everyone. Um, I think that sometimes, and I'm not sure if this will re resonate with everyone or anyone, um, when you're really struggling, it's really hard to see Jesus. Mm. And I think that um, in those moments, instead of asking why, we should, we've, we've talked about this recently, we, we need to say, where, where are you, Jesus? Where are you in this? Yeah. Because you are there. Yeah. And for me, I had this kind of vision of like, when you lose a child in a supermarket, and at first it's like, oh, you know, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> no, you're, you know you're here. And then, you know, it gets a bit more frantic, and you're, Jesus, Jesus. And then right at the end, you're, Jesus, where are you? And I think that what I want to say is that I feel that that is our our responsibility as a church to each other I think that um, and and I want to say that that is my commitment to you as as brothers and sisters in this church you know I want to look in your face and see Jesus and I want you to look in my face and see Jesus and that's our responsibility to each other mm -hmm. I think that um, it, it's easy for us to just sit here and listen to Nate and Mary and John and and feel like there's a big kind of glass wall up here that you can't get up and, and but it's our every one of us sitting in this room it's our responsibility to know and love God but, but and and find Jesus in each other where we might be struggling someone might be struggling and actually you know it's my responsibility and your responsibility as each other to help you find Jesus in that situation and that's my commit commitment to you um, amen, amen love to that. that thank you Yes, we are getting, church. Gotta get many up preaching sometime. I think <laughs> she's fantastic. So what's struck me is um, this idea of resting in Jesus and what that looks like. And it's really interesting that John spoke about the vine. And something I learned this week about plants because I'm pretty good at murdering plants but I was told by someone who knows about plants that actually there's a time where they flourish and a time where they lay dormant mm. and that in I, that got me thinking about our spiritual life that sometimes we're waiting for something to happen mm. and actually Jesus just wants us to rest with him that there are seasons for planting, there are seasons for growing, there are seasons for pruning, pruning, but there are also seasons where we are just meant to rest with Jesus and that it's okay for us to give ourselves permission to just sit and be with Jesus. Mm. Thanks, Miranda. Thank you, Miranda. Yeah, anyone, anyone else that just feels like the Spirit said something today? Um, I love this. It's like, this is church. We are church. It's not just somebody standing here. We all have, hear from God. And we're going to, if we can push into this, then we will go away changed because it's, it's getting home for you. Yes, Catherine and Louise. I was digging a vegetable patch yesterday, so following on from Miranda's gardening theme. Um, and I couldn't believe the roots that were just entangled everywhere um, 
and they looked like as I was clearing them, it was, I mean, it was quite hard work just digging through and pulling up the roots, but I thought, if I leave them there, they're, they're going to grow and not the things that I'm going to plant and want mm. to grow in it. And it, um, my sense was that that's what Jesus is saying to us, that we, we actually need to, as we in that dormant period, you need to dig over. And there are, there are things that need to clear out to make space for his roots to go down deep. So it's really just a thought about, about what, what do I need to clear out to make space for Jesus? Space for Jesus. Um, I was just thinking about when Minnie was sharing. Um, obviously, Minnie did Alpha with Mary and I. And I just, throughout when John was talking about Jesus and watching that lady's testimony of re, like rediscovering almost who Jesus was. I was just thinking about Christmas and how, obviously, for most people, Jesus is a baby burrito, as Tabby keeps drawing him, like a little tiny, you know, thing in a manger. And actually, there is obviously this amazing opportunity for people to, like, rediscover who Jesus is, who they, you know, the Jesus of Christmas, the baby in the manger. And it's a long time till Easter. Um, but just obviously, many, you know, obviously coming to Alpha and now being here. And I was just thinking about that and how there are so many people who you know, might just love to be invited to church at Christmas. And, and I just, there's a song um, that I listened to a bit and it's called Hope Again. And just that, you know, not that it's hope for the first time, but actually hope again. Perhaps people in this season just needing that sense of hope again. And, um, and how, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to speak the name of Jesus and that he isn't just a little baby burrito uh, in a manger, but that, um, you know, he's the king of kings. And so just, I was just thinking about that. Amazing. Right. Unless there's someone who's burning something inside them, I'll wrap up. Um, but I just love how um, actually the Spirit is here and he wants to speak to us all. And he, and actually, you know, there's some amazing stuff there and they, kind of, they all link because actually I love this, like, there's no time wasted. And that actually, you know, this, this feeling of like, where are you, Jesus? Um, and that actually discovering who Jesus is there is hope again and that we are committed to each other in this season we're in this gardening season of like planting growing or are we resting all this kind of stuff and I love this clearing out digging out making space for Jesus so I'm just going to pray all of that over us because I feel like that's an amazing all these great messages for all of us this morning